Radio Drome. It's another episode of Radio Drome. Joining me tonight is not Brian Lewis, but Lloyd the Cat. <laughs> Lloyd, you sound a lot like Brad. <laughs> a lot. I like. I like how uh, you didn't even do like episode number this time. Just like, hey, it's uh, another episode of Radio Drome. Uh, yeah. I've had a really long week. <laughs> I don't even know what episode we're recording right now. You don't even know what show this is. Welcome to a new episode of Lost in the Static. Yeah, it's Lost in the Drome, I think. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, because we've got a really great lineup of a bunch of really great topics coming up, but they're all ones I want Brian involved in, so we're going to hold off on those until he can, well... He told me he was going to be gone, so I can't blame him for not remembering to show up this week. But I want Brian for our our topics, so we're just going to kind of freeball tonight. They're all episodes about great hot sauces and movies. Well, hey, did you see Brian's been getting trolled ever since he whined about it? What? He did? He's starting to get trolled on the comments after he whined about not getting trolled. But you're still getting the most, right? Yeah. Okay. There's there's one there's one guy on there that actually wants me to quit the show because he wants me to quit leeching off your popularity. <laughs> I, I I guess it he missed the part where I already ran a show before I even met you, and I've got another show that has nothing whatsoever to do with you that are just as highly rated. So clearly yeah, yeah. you're the reason for that, right, Brad? <laughs> Man, I wish you would stop mooching off of me. God! <laughs> I really hate you calling me every week out of nowhere to do this. And ironically enough, you always have your headset set up. How how weird is that? I got nothing else to do. Oh, I was flipping channels last night. I saw Midnight Heat on cable. What? Oh, which one? The uh... <laughs> the Brad Dourif one. <laughs> okay. I, I had to think for a minute. I was like, okay, it, won't be the, it wouldn't be the porn. No, 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 this was on, like, Showtime or HBO. Okay. Was it any good? I don't know. I just saw it flipping in the guide, and I just kind of giggled, like, oh, I got to tell Brad his, uh, Midnight Heat's on. His oh. movie, kind of, sort of. Yeah, kind of, sort of my movie. <laughs> hey, it, it, I would have shit my pants if it actually was your movie. Oh, oh, you, you and me both. <laughs> would have been what like, the... hey, wait a minute, that's Jones. I, I would be like, how did... All right, uh, several questions. One, how did they get the rights to the soundtrack? Two, why? Where's my check? Where's my check? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just found that funny when I was flipping channels last night. That, I mean, yeah, I, I knew there was another movie called Midnight Heat, but I'd forgotten about it till I saw it in the in the lineup. Yeah, there's like a few. Um, I've the only other one that I've seen, uh, other than mine, but the only other one I've seen is uh. The Jamie Gillis... Uh, the porno. Porno one, yeah. But, which you reviewed. Yeah, yeah. It was all right. You heard about the RoboCop remake, right? The the details that have been released? Uh, there was a... a I, I saw that like a script review of it was, was released. Um, I didn't really read anything on it because I didn't want to ha- know like a huge, huge breakdown of it. I, I didn't know how hugely spoiler-heavy it would be. Uh, the review wasn't that spoiler heavy, the script review, other than the fact that it points out 
all the ways it attempts to use something from the original film, and yet some okay. manages to rape it while, quote, paying homage to it. Spoilers here for anyone who doesn't want to hear this. I'm You all bitch that I never give you a spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. They originally try to make RoboCop look like the 80s version, and it gets uh-huh. laughed off the screen by a focus group saying it looks like a giant toy and it looks like a relic from the 1980s. So that's why they go with the new modern design. Have they released it's any pictures? Right there. Yes, kind of. The, the On the poster and in that little teaser, that OCP, sorry, Omnicorp. They're not OCP yeah. anymore. They're Omnicorp. That little uh-huh. Omnicorp uh, teaser trailer, you get a couple of quick glimpses of him. It, he, he looks all streamlined and... I don't know. He just he looks too new. He doesn't look like RoboCop. He looks like a robot who's a cop. Eh, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt because I never know, like, okay, is the person is, – it is just a script review, you know? I mean, I've seen good script reviews of stuff that turned out to be crap, and I've seen crap script reviews of stuff that turned out to be good. <laughs> like, and I, 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 something like this I, I take with a grain of salt because it's like – where is this reviewer coming from here? Is this someone who, no matter what they did with this movie, no matter what direction it went, no matter what, was he automatically going to dislike it because it's a remake of RoboCop? Oh, see, the, the, there's actually one more bit of news that came out, and this came out officially from the makers of, of the film. Yeah. Apparently, they, they someone at the studio decided that audiences won't watch a movie with a robot in it if it doesn't transform. RoboCop now transforms. His arms will transform into guns, and there's a rumor RoboCop will now grow wheels and transform into his own car. (laughs) I would imagine that that's just a rumor. The the whole transforming part, they said he does transform into other things in this film, and I'm just going, oh, God! to, To test him out after they build him, and again, this is this part's confirmed, they send him to take out an Al-Qaeda training camp. That's interesting. It's also stupid. <laughs> it might be interesting, but it's stupid. Because mm-hmm. I don't it... know, I'm mad about this. This is, this is terrible to me. So, would you, so if his arm transformed into a gun in the other movies, would you have been as pissed off? I think I would have because... Really? I, I, I don't think was, you would have. No, because I, I mean, it wasn't a transform, but it was like a object exchange in the third one and that pissed me off then yeah the, yeah, the third one was when a, he did that so the third I, one was a sucky movie the third one was all around a suck it was just all around a sucky movie but let's say that there was a scene in the first robocop where he, he shot he, he shot out of like his hand or something like that let's say that that happened in a scene from that movie that wouldn't have made the difference I, I, I between think- a no, that wouldn't have made that, a di- that mo- that wouldn't have made a difference between a really good movie and a really bad movie. No, if he just shot out his hand. Now, if his hand kind of and turned into uh-huh. a gun, I'd go, "All right, all right, let, let let's back it up here a minute, movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. I'm glad I'm glad that it didn't do that in the other movie. I'm really really glad it didn't do that. But that doesn't make the difference between a really good movie and a really, really bad movie. It's kind of dumb, but there, I like, I don't like, I don't know. Like I'll, I'm going to have to just, uh, I'm, I'm not 
giving out any like judgments on this this freaking movie yet. It, it's too early for it's too early for crap like that. You well, know, I, when I see some when I see some footage when it gets closer to that, you know, okay. But again, again, I could I could picture myself. You see, see, the thing with this movie is is it does have a it does have a really good director behind it. It does have some good writers behind it. So I am giving it more the benefit of the doubt than if we're talking about this right now and this is a movie directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Right, and I, I give you that, but there, there's there's two other minor things that bug me that were unnecessary changes. That Again, these things are confirmed. Lewis is now a black man instead of a white woman. That's okay. completely arbitrary to me. You know, huh. It's like we got to racially diverse up the cast for no apparent reason. And his son plays a large part in the thing of him trying to reconnect with his boy. I thought if they'd done that in the original film, it would have been unnecessary. And I, I don't want that. I want him trying to regain his humanity, not link up with his son after he regains his I, memories. I don't have a problem with that because if you're going to remake it, why do the same thing again? But then, but why change things arbitrarily? You know, arbitrarily, he, okay. Yeah, I agree with you about the still partner have thing. A female partner who's. I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I, I, I do. I think that that's kind of dumb. Um, I think that that's kind of dumb and unnecessary. If they have a plot in there with him and like, uh, with with a son, I'm not gonna automatically say that that's gonna be really, really crappy. It could end up being crappy. It really, really could. But there's a chance that it won't be. I, I don't know. I, I just I don't like the constant when and all remakes. So this is not specific to RoboCop. I hate when a remake feels it has to name drop specific lines. From, I don't like that either. Because I, in, in this one, remember the the original poster was part man, part machine, all cop. Yeah, of course. That's how the mayor introduces RoboCop on TV. He's part he, man, part machine. He's all cop. And yeah. I, and, there, and there's also supposedly supposedly numerous people that do the I'd buy that for a dollar. I I'm I'm with you on that. I find it distracting, even when it's a remake I like. And that, and, and you'll have something like that in the movie, something that's like a callback to the other one, or that line drops the other one, or scene drops the other one. You know, I I do find that distracting. I I think yeah, if if you're gonna remake something. You know, do your own thing with it. You know, to, to, to take the whole like, oh, remakes are unnecessary in a way. Yeah, okay, remakes are unnecessary, fine. But if you're gonna remake, if you are gonna remake something, go all in or go all out. I mean, like, do your own, do your own thing, do your own thing with it while still, while still keeping some love for the other one, while still keeping some respect for the other one. And that doesn't mean, and that's. And there's a difference between that and just simply line dropping the other movie. But sometimes when it's done right, it can work, such as the they're dead, they're all messed up line in the 1990 Night of the Living Dead. That mm -hmm. didn't feel forced. It felt right. It didn't feel like they were just name dropping that line yeah. from the original. It felt yeah. like it worked in the remake. Mm -hmm. But it's but yeah yeah it, it did there but I mean it's been a long time since we've seen something work like that like uh, Brian and I saw that damn Total Recall I was just gonna bring up Miss Triple Nipple yeah yeah um the the prostitute with the three tits no reason why she's freaking there because there's no mutants in the movie 
Other than uh, the fact that she was a big sight gag in the first one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, granted, it's been a... I will say this. It's been a long time since I've seen female nipples in a PG-13 movie, albeit fake, but still. And uh, they did other things, too, like someone getting their arm cut off by an elevator, but it's a robot in this one, you know, so that way they can keep the PG-13. Yeah, I okay, speaking of, like, the see you at the party, Richter... There, yeah. Have you ever played the game on Xbox Live, Splosion Man? No, no, huh? Well, the, the character you know, runs around, you can't jump, you explode off walls, and you can explode up to three times before you have to wait a little bit to recharge. And it's yeah. very much an old 80s-style platformer. And the character's all very, very hyperactive. Blah, blah, blah. And every time you beat a level, he spews a one-liner from an Arnold movie. And, and what, like, get to the chopper! As, as you're yeah. running through the credits. And in one of those, he goes, see you at the and I'm like, what the hell was that? Get these people here. Then I'm just like, that was a random Total Recall line that comes out of nowhere. Did you see the trailer for the new Arnold movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, they re- yeah, they released about a minute and a half uh, trailer for it. Uh, Last Stand looks looks good. It looks I it looks good. I'm well, I mean, I'm I'm just glad Arnold's back. But you got Arnold back in a movie, and you got. The movie's director, it's from the same guy who did I Saw the Devil. It was the best movie I saw last year, so I'm I'm looking forward to this. Not not quite Arnold, but you know, that makes me think of Expendables too, which Arnold is in, which is which Stallone is in. I, I just haven't pi- seen it yet. I just picked up the, the DVD for Cobra. It Sweet. has a commentary on it. I can't wait to hear them try and justify Cobra to me. That is they don't need to justify Cobra to me. I understand that movie's awesome. Not in a good, not in a good way. It's awesome in all the wrong ways. That doesn't make I, it less awesome, but I don't know if something's awesome, even if you know if it's in a good way or if it's in a bad way, it's still awesome. I would I would not have bought Cobra even at the three dollars, but there's a commentary, and I'm really really interested in I, that commentary. Yeah, I think Cobra. I think Cobra is awesome in the way that Cobra intended to be awesome. Well, think about it like this: Cobra was almost Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, yeah. Because back when Stallone was attached to Beverly Hills Cop, that was more or less the script he he brought to them. Once he quit Beverly Hills Cop, he took a lot of his ideas and put them into the Cobra script. So in a weird way, Cobra is the original Beverly Hills Cop version. Well, well hell, there are, two, there are basically two different Cobras because the book that it's based on was also the basis for what was it fair game with uh william baldwin and cindy crawford yeah yeah which i've never seen that one so i don't know how much it deviates and the the bad guy uh, was steven burkoff the bad guy from beverly hills cop nice (laughs) you know screw this seven degrees of kevin bacon i'm going seven degrees of stallone here yeah damn right uh i saw fair game once it was in the theater uh, mid 90s I liked it when I saw it then. It had because it had it had a lot of action in it. Did uh, you notice the similarities between Cobra plot wise or anything? Yeah, in that like, in that there's a group of people who are after Cindy Crawford and she's being protected by a cop who's William Baldwin, whereas in the other one, Stallone and and Brigitte Nielsen. Literally, they were based on the same source material. I just remember being like, oh, it's kind of like Cobra. And then you find out later that they're both based on the same novel. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, well, okay, that makes sense, I guess. 
I, I remember I liked it at the time when I saw it in the theater. I haven't seen it since. I <laughs> Lord knows what I would think when I watched if I'd watch it now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 16, 17 years ago, I thought it was all right. And see, that, that's kind of the problem that you, you find these movies that you would have liked, even if it's a movie you had you didn't see, say you, when you were in high school. But the high school you, you're sure would have liked a certain movie that the now you wouldn't like. Like I asked Brian this question when when we did the 1990 Cable Guide one, where you weren't on that episode. So I'm going to ask you, what movies have you seen now that you can't believe you missed when they were new? Oh, that I that I missed in theaters, or or, or just e- even like you know a cable movie or something, because it made me think the Michael Crichton movie Looker. Uh-huh. I've never even heard of that movie yeah. until I until I found it the week Brian and I recorded that episode, and I totally would have loved this movie as a as a teenager. Man, I don't know. That's thinking off the top of my head. I I, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I I watch stuff from the eighties and nineties all all the time. I mean, for the for the website, but I'm sure that, there's I'm sure there's some things that slip through your grasp that when you see it now you go this was out in '90 how the hell did I miss this? Yeah, uh, there's there's one um, there's one that I got coming up on the snob that I that I hadn't really heard anything about until someone brought it to my attention. It was a, a request for a movie called Gross Out. I don't know that uh, one. And 1990, it's from the same guy who did the Alice in Wonderland porno bill osco it's uh i haven't watched it yet it's something about a a few guys who try to make a a a gross out movie for like their mom i think or something like that because she she bets she says that she'll leave them like millions of dollars if they can make a movie that grosses her out that's such an oddly specific way to get a million dollars yeah, yeah, and uh, I I did some reading about this movie. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. I could probably I could probably do something with this. Okay, th- that's something that we don't have anymore. Those oddly specific comedies, such as you ever see Rodney Dangerfield's Easy Money? Oh yeah, yeah. All the crap he has to go through in that is so just stupidly specific mm-hmm. that the movie shouldn't work. But it's Rodney Dangerfield, and he can make a movie work. Yeah, oh, and it's, it's young Joe Pesci too. Yeah, you got Joe Pesci thrown in there too. Yeah, for yeah. no apparent reason. You've got uh, uh-huh. uh, her name just fell out of my head. Uh, the chick that's on Weeds now as Nancy's sister, playing his playing his daughter is now a famous actress, and there's a couple other cameos in there of now famous people that weren't. I heard her name just fell out of my head, and I'm gonna feel like an idiot. I I, I always confuse her with Sean Young, but it's not Sean Young. I got the cast list pulled up now. Are you thinking? Uh, oh, oh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee, yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, as his as his daughter, and I, I mean, there was just something about Rodney Dangerfield. He, no matter how bad the movie was, he sold it, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Rodney was always a trooper because if you if you look at like the script for Easy Money, and just on the surface, it's not really that good of a movie, uh-huh. but Rodney sells it. I and I I'm like that too with a lot of action guys too. You know, I think action heroes are, are like that too when you like one a lot. You know, uh, a movie can be oh, okay like Cobra. Let's take Cobra again for instance. With a lesser guy in the lead role, I don't know how much I would have liked Cobra, but I'm such a huge Stallone fan that 
Cobra's on with Sylvester Stallone. All right, I know what I'm doing for the next couple hours. Well, and then to to me, Cobra also has Garrick from Deep Space Nine as the captain who hates him. So that's yeah. always that's always a plus. The guy was the the guy was the sniper killer in Dirty Harry. So let's make him the captain in Cobra. Oh, Andy Robinson. Nice. Yeah, Andrew Robinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just gonna wait. What? It was Callahan, the big man. He did this to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Sometimes even a mediocre script is obviously elevated by a really good actor, whereas at the same time, a really bad actor can drag down a really good script. And I think that happens more often than it doesn't. And, well, and you have you and I were just talking about this a little bit before I started recording. You have movies that are not a cohesive whole, but have so many individual great parts, they're still uh-huh. a good movie. I'm thinking easily Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. I don't think that's a good movie. The no. narrative's all over the place. The characters are inconsistent. The world is undefined. But there are so many awesome specific scenes that I can't not like Johnny Mnemonic. A movie that's really, really enjoyable can get away with stuff like that, you know? When I did the when I talked about Dark Knight Rises online, they're like, oh, oh, what? You're picking on this movie, but you like Prometheus? Well, I found Prometheus more enjoyable. If Dark Knight Rises, if I found Dark Knight Rises really, really enjoyable and I was into it, you know, I wouldn't have cared as much about some of the littler things in the movie. But when you're really having kind of a crap time, that stuff, you notice that stuff a lot more. A good director and a great actor, if they're not given what they need to work with, it can fail on every level. I'm looking at you, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, John yeah. Landis is a good director. Yeah, Murphy is. was at the peak of his skills, and somehow that movie's a total train wreck. That movie sucks. That's what I mean. The script did not do that movie any favors whatsoever. And no. I love the first Bever- the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies. Me too. I love them both. I think they're both fan. I, they're both awesome. I I love I love the second one. The alphabet cry. Oh man, I love everyone that stuff. craps on the second one. Oh, it's not as good as the first. All right, fair enough. Yes, it's not as good as the first, but only by a little bit. Yeah, the second one is still awesome. So the, the, I, that would be like saying the first one's a ten out of a ten, and the second one's a nine out of a ten. So that then it somehow yeah. sucks. It's uh, still yeah. really awesome. Uh huh. Yeah, I t- totally agree. Totally agree with that. And then I saw the third one in the theater with my dad, and that movie lost me when they killed the captain at the beginning. I don't know where that movie lost me. I saw that with my wife. We might not even have been married yet. We might have still been just engaged. Mm-hmm. And I, we were both just kind of like, yeah, this this isn't the Axel Foley we grew up with. That This is just trying too hard. I, I, did love, uh, I did love, though, uh, when Siskel and Ebert reviewed Beverly Hills Cop 2, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it because they thought Axel Foley was too, like abrasive too angry too vulgar too like mean-spirited did they see the first movie (laughs) yeah yeah i I don't know if they like that one either but they really didn't like the second one and then the third one comes out and they didn't like that one either because their reasons were like he's too soft in this movie how come he's not like really angry like in the other ones (laughs) damned if you do damned if you don't on that account i guess what the hell? <laughs> the, that movie just had just the laziest freaking setup. The the opening scene, the shootout, the captain dies. Like, Axel, while you're on a coffee break, 
go catch the bastards who did this. Oh, okay, there's our setup in the first few minutes. He's going back to Beverly Hills. It was starting to strain credibility of him always finding a way to get back to a case that involved Beverly Hills. I mean, in the yeah. second film, you know, we bought it because he was not drug into that case. Yeah, he, yeah. He inserted himself into Bogomil's shooting. Yeah, So exactly. I was willing to buy that a lot more that mm. they never called Axel. He saw it yeah. on the news and called himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It, it was... it. it it, it wasn't a stretch. It, it was believable because, yeah, Bogomil also a cop, you know, so it's it's believable. It's something in Beverly Hills would happen to, to one of his friends. And he and he goes and he goes there on his own will to to help out. Yeah. And but then in Beverly Hills Cop three, again, something happens in Detroit. Uh, something happens in Detroit. And I forget even what. There's a shootout, the captain dies, and the guys who were the villains are running like that theme park or something. Yeah, he he found some of that like funny money that they were printing or something like yeah. that in the chop shop that they were busting. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the movie for a long time, so I'm a little fuzzy on the details for Beverly Hills Cop 3. But I just remember I, I, not liking it. <laughs> I, I just mainly remember that shot they always used in the trailer of him jumping on the, off that... Uh, Kind of Ferris wheel, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, well, and, and then, and then they even had the nerve, and it made no sense to bring Surge back. Except now he's an arms dealer. That was where so the hell did dumb. they get that from? Okay, he, he was a really fruity art assistant. Now he's an arms dealer. Yeah, I buy that. I did not. That was. Uh, they only put that in there as a callback to the first one. And why would he recognize him? Like right, he met him once and, and or maybe twice. I think he met him twice in the movie in the first. Yeah, movie. and he hardly left an impression other than being Jenny, you know, Jenny Summers' friend. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Aquel Foley. Aquel Foley. Yeah, yeah. Like what? And, and and then when he sees him in the third one, like he runs up to him and like gives him a hug and a kiss and all that stuff. And their relationship in the first one merited none of that. Like they're just. They they talk to each other a little bit in the first. At, one. at that There's, point, why not bring back Damon Wayans and have him recognize him from giving him the banana? Yeah, that it makes just as much sense as that. And like it, I remember, I I do remember like uh, there was one line in the third one where Serge says uh, something about he, he references the fact that he killed Victor Maitland. Like he's like it's something that I had to find another job because you shot my old boss or something like that. Yeah, and okay. I really do like John Landis as a director. Oh, me too. But me he too. was not right for a Beverly Hills Cop film. That's not his style of movie. Yeah, you the... could almost tell he was, and I don't want to use the term out of his depth because, like I said, he's a g good director. But you could almost tell he was ill prepared for that franchise. Maybe, but that was a sucky. Wait, did he also write it? I think his if... his son might have written that. Because because if he because if because if John Landis didn't write it I, I maybe he could have done something with it had the script been a lot better because the direction was hardly the biggest problem with that movie oh, i agree but, the, but the, if, the script was the issue the script sucked uh, i'm on his uh da, 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 da. yeah i don't see uh no he didn't write it um he, he didn't write beverly hills cop 3 and, and sometimes when he's given a good script 
that's that is a little bit out of his element. Like, did you ever see his Masters of Horror, his first season Masters of Horror episode, Dear Woman, the one no. that's it, it's actually continuity tied to American Werewolf in London, so it's sort of a sequel. Okay. And it was written by his son. Obviously, his son is going to know how to write for his dad. The script was almost straight out comedy in a horror setting, and it worked. John Landis was able to pull something like that off because of a really witty little script. The guy who wrote Beverly Hills Cop 3, it's a, it's a Stephen DeSouza. Wow. He's yeah. usually... I, I, okay, I have a feeling that movie was a subject of numerous rewrites, and even if his name's on the credits, I'm going to go out and say his script differed a lot from the final product. Or, but this this was around the era the era of DeSouza, where he also is credited as writing Flintstone, Street Fighter, Judge Dredd, and Knockoff. All right, I retract my previous statement. <laughs> I retract my previous statement. He must have just been insane at that point, or just not trying, or, or just outright Man, the, not trying. The nineties had as had as positive an effect on him as they did on Johnny Hughes. <laughs> wow. It also comes down to, you know, like like the Beverly Hills Cop 3 thing is a perfect thing of the wrong director being attached. And you, you get that sometimes where where you've got a director that's clearly too inexperienced to make the movie they need to make. I liked Jaws 2. I really did. Yeah, I like Jaws 2. And, and you know I'm not the biggest Steven Spielberg booster out there. Sure. But I believe his name is Jean Deswarek. Is that who directed Jaws 2? Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's how his name is pronounced. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to insult the guy because he's done a lot of work I liked. Dude, you're no Spielberg. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the script was decent, uh-huh. but it just lacked the oomph that Spielberg's movie had to it. You know what I mean? It did. It did. And... um. I don't mean this to sound insulting because I really like this era of this kind of movie, but it looked like a uh, it looks like a made-for-TV version of Jaws. That's you know? actually a, a subject with one of the ones we're waiting for Brian on when TV movies were good. Yeah, I love that's st- a, that's actually an upcoming subject. Yeah, I, I but, but I, I agree it it really does because the direction is just so keep the actors in in frame. Yeah, there's not a whole lot more to just keep the actors in frame. And so I agree, it feels kind of like a TV movie that has an occasional swear word in it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a, who's another director like that where I watch some of their stuff and it's like, this looks like a TV movie. Um, um, Ted, we, Ted, Ted, Ted Post. Well, we also brought him up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Smokey and the Bandit stuff, Hal Needham. Uh-huh. Hal Needham stuff, sometimes this feels so theatrical and other times it's like, Man, he didn't want to be on this movie, did he? He's just yeah. making sure the actors stay in the center of the frame, and that's the extent of it. Oh yeah, yeah, like um, the uh, good guys wear black, the the Ted Post movie, the Chuck Norris one. Yeah, it's exactly it's exactly the same. And although he direct, although he directed Magnum Force, that's one of my favorite Dirty Harrys. Well, we discussed this way back in episode two of Radiodrome, Brad, but. You know, the Magnum Force, my biggest complaint is just it's too long. 20 minutes needed to be scissored out of that movie. does not need to be two hours and 20 minutes long. I didn't have a problem with that necessarily, but there are moments in there. There are moments in, in, in Magnum Force where it looks very, very TV ish. 
When, but th- when you compare it to the first one, you know. Oh, because the first one felt very that '70s new age. Oh yeah, uh, Hollywood. It, it felt very. Even though it was this, the first Dirty Harry was very much a studio picture through and through. Yeah. But it felt like a like something that came out of the Easy Rider style of filmmaking. Oh, it new, really yeah, did. New Hollywood. Yeah, it, it really felt like that. Even though it was studio through and through. Yeah. And you know, everyone also. They they shit on you and I for liking the Deadpool, but since we're going with Dirty Harry, the Deadpool there are parts of that that feel TV movie, and there are parts that feel overtly theatrical. Oh, the car chase! I mean, and then the like the Jim Carrey stuff. Sorry, James Carrey yeah. stuff feels very TV movie. Just the way yeah. it's shot. There's no camera movement. It's just so, you know, this looks like something you'd see on MTV, which. Technically, Which, is what they were going for, but yeah, yeah, is what they were going for. I've worked on a couple of professional movies, and I gotta say, I don't know how indicative this is of real independent films, but yeah. on the movies I worked on, on one of them, the director did everything like you'd think a director would. On the other one, the AD made all the decisions. Yeah. So you kind of got to look at it and go, y- you know, I was there, the credited director. I mean, maybe he had a lot more input in meetings and whatnot mm-hmm. on the set. He didn't make any decisions on where the camera was going, camera movement, instructions to actors, anything. So you got to wonder, why doesn't the AD get a bigger credit? Because he did all the work. Yeah. And he yeah. made all the decisions. So sometimes I wonder when you see some of these movies that don't feel like a certain director, how much of that actually was them and how much of it they're just taking credit for. Well, what did, when you were on that set, what was the director doing? A lot of times he was just sitting back in his tent watching the monitors. He, what he did is he basically just sat behind the monitors and the AD would be like, hey, how about we do this with the camera and we'll do this. and You know, this will be the monster POV shot. And I mean, I'm not trying to be rude. The director was a nice guy. He seemed to know what he was doing and whatnot, but he didn't call most of the shots in this movie. Like he probably, he probably just didn't... He, probably didn't really want to be there possibly because this was his first directing role he was an actor prior to this so okay or maybe he was again i'm not trying to be insulting but maybe he just was in over his head or maybe he handled everything in the pre-production meeting you know i'm just crew so i don't show up till 9 a.m maybe you know when at 6 a.m he's telling everybody what he wants and they're just reiterating the instructions i don't know Sure, sure i don't know that part but on set he didn't do a whole lot. And then on the other movie that I worked on, the director was doing everything, picking the camera angles, t- you know, telling the costume girl what to do to, to, to change people's costumes and makeup and all that. And it's like he was totally hands-on. But which movie was better? The one with the hands-on director. Oh, okay. And I'm trying I, I to say, avoid really... using their, their uh, titles because... I mean, you can find them on IMDb, but I don't want to get in trouble if talking out of school as it is. Oh, man. I was going to say, it'd be really funny if it was the other way around and, like, the <laughs> the the lesser director's movie turned out to be, like, way better. <laughs> well, all right. Screw it. I'll I'll, I'll say the, the, the one really good one. It, it's, it's a little obscure movie called Feed the Fish. It's a romantic comedy that actually works as a romance and a comedy. It's way better than it should be. And it did not, and I'm just talking as seeing the film at the premiere, it yeah. didn't take the predictable course that a romantic comedy does. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, it started to- Tony Shalhoub totally looking. Okay, you ever see Tony Shalhoub with a huge mustache playing a badass small town sheriff? Oh, that's cool. I like that. And that's what he plays in this. And Barry Corbin plays yeah. his father. Nice. And uh, the villain of the piece is Vanessa Branch. You know, the uh-huh. um, oh, yeah, yeah. fabulous lady from the Orbitz Gum commercials is the villain. Yeah. Oh, that's and, that's that's really cool. And it, it, it's a legitimately, I was, I don't go for romantic comedies. And I'm like, I like this movie. It's mm-hmm. funny where it's supposed to be funny. And maybe it's because I have too much background info. Because, you know, I can look at the scene and go, I'm standing right on the other side of that fence, making sure traffic doesn't come by. Yeah. So maybe I just know too much about the movie. I don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, Hanks told me that, that he's done that too, you know, working in professional Hollywood in the 90s. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Can we talk at this point that Hank did the effects for the Snob movie? Yeah, he's on the poster. I know. I just didn't know if you wanted to talk publicly. But, yeah, Hank Carlson, he's like, there are movies where the director never even comes out of his trailer. The AD directs some of the the entire film but just doesn't get the credit for it no yeah on ours uh on ours uh i mean if you've seen the behind the scenes footage you've seen how that we had a we had a very small crew ryan ran camera ryan directed we had uh, whoever was available at the time to, to work uh, to work sound and see that 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 sometimes is not a bad way to make a movie because uh-huh. first of all you, you, the person the the crew never feels like they're not important because there's always yeah. something that they need to do. Yes, oh, yeah. asking them to do nine different things. Yeah. But okay, here's the thing uh, on, on the on the movie that I didn't think turned out very good uh, with the Eric Roberts movie. It's uh, I was I was the boom op on it, so relatively yeah. important position. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and by the way, smart asses, no, you can't see the boom in any shot, so don't get smart assy with me. <laughs> You know they're going. They're going to. <laughs> I can't believe Josh thought that thought a boom mic was called the camera lens. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be the one posting that? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> but uh, so you know, it was a relatively important position, and I ba- I spent most of my day just standing around. Mm-hmm. You know, while other people did stuff because you know it was a union. It was a union movie, so. If you're not part of the prop crew, you don't touch a prop. You yeah, know, that kind of thing. But most of my movie was most of my time was just standing around waiting mm-hmm. for the shot to get set up. Oh sure, but, sure, yeah. You know, whereas like if if this was a small little indie film, little hundred thousand dollar film, they would have said put the boom mic down and start moving some props. So I mean, I'm not necessarily complaining that I didn't have to do more. Mm-hmm. And my, my being the boom op got me indoors for a couple of really cool. I mean, physically cold shots. That Josh, put put the boom mic down. We need you to direct. Oh, I'd have loved that. But no, like, <laughs> uh, th- there was one shot inside a really small set, and they couldn't fit everybody in there. Obviously, boom mic, I have to be in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's just me, the cameraman, and the two actors that are there. And so the sound guy is sitting outside the door with wires running out from my boom pole, freezing his ass off while I'm in the heated room. <laughs> like, hey, I'm uh, the one that has to be in here. I've got the microphone. So cozy in here. And then, er- and then Eric Roberts tried to force me to smoke a cigarette. Take this cigarette. 
Well, no, he, he wanted like some smoke to you know waft in front of the lights. So he started handing smokes out to the whole crew, and he's like, get in here and start smoking. And I've never had a cigarette, and I never will. And so he actually got a little irked that I wouldn't smoke his cigarette. You take like, this cigarette. I'll autograph a copy of the Coca-Cola kit for you. <laughs> I actually – one of the things I talked to Eric Roberts about when he was on set was uh, Rude Awakening had just been on cable a couple of days before. So I was talking to him about that, and he was telling me about how he and Cheech still get together every Christmas. That's really cool. And, and then he told us this story about how early in his career uh, fate stepped in and didn't kill him. Oh, you told me about that. He was supposed to be on a plane, right? He was supposed to be on a plane, and, and he decided to uh, – I, I think go and meet his wife for dinner or something, and then and then the plane ended up crashing. That yeah. was going to the to the party died, and so as he felt fate intervened. God, God, do you remember what movie that was? No, he said it was real early in his career, so I, I don't. Yeah, and he said the name, but it was a busy set. I don't remember what movie it was, but it was before he was a star. He was yeah. a cast member on that movie. Okay, so so pre uh, Star eighty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was seventies. Okay. Yeah, th- th- he he specifically said it was the seventies, and I mean Eric Roberts was awesome. Tony Shalhoub was awesome. Barry Corbin, Barry Corbin on F- the Feed the Fish set was just great. Brad. Oh, nice. You know how he has that thick Southern drawl and everything. Oh yeah. So I'm wearing a Twilight Zone T-shirt. Uh, I just I bring him some coffee because at that day that's what I was doing. Yeah. And he just looks at me, takes a drink of his coffee between setups, and goes, Twilight Zone. I did one of those. <laughs> about the Twilight Zone episode he was in. And I'm like, this is awesome. That reminds me of uh, one of the cons we were at. And the sheriff from the end of Night of the Living Dead was there. was one of the guests. <laughs> and we were walking We were walking through the room that a lot of the, the celebrities were in. It was him, the cast of Day, uh, a couple of the cast members from Dawn. And uh, like like Tom Matthews and and some people were in there, and we were walking by, and then we hear him, the sheriff. He's sitting at the table. He's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" And we kind of looked over towards him. He's like, "Hey, I was the sheriff." <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're like, "Sweet!" So I was like, "Like that's that's pretty good. I like that. I like that. That's pretty good." So I went up and got an autograph from him. <laughs> the other interesting Barry Corbin story was he told us about how he improvised the piss on a spark plug line in war games. Oh, cool. Oh, John Badham just said, say something that sounds like what your character would say. And that's yeah. what he made up. Mm-hmm. So that was an ad lib. And I thought, just thought that was awesome. With his southern drawl, maybe he's the one who uh, on the comments said he was going to give you a good old southern paddling. <laughs> Please I like, I like how you went southern right there when you said it, too. Please tell me you saw that. Which one was it for? Oh, I can't remember, but it was someone who said, like, next time I see Josh, I'm going to give him a good old-fashioned southern paddling. I, d- I did laugh at the guy that said he wanted to get, I can't remember if it was my name or my face tattooed on his ass, so that his <laughs> ass is not the biggest ass on his body. I saw that. Last I saw that. Night. I'm like, okay, I la- that was funny. I laughed at that. There was one <laughs> other. There was one other insult I laughed at too. I there can't remember that, what it is off the top of my head though. There was one that I laughed at too. Uh, <laughs> there was one I laughed at too. Hang on, I, um, I, I might be able to find it because uh, I think I, I think I sent it to somebody. Um, <laughs> and we got a lot of comments on this one. 
Well, it's because we were talking about like a kind of touchy, touchy. Yeah. In the last, for, for for those that are listening to these later or earlier, it was the real real world events affecting the movies episode on Brad's site. Yeah. We got, yeah. We got a good good oh. comments on that. I think it was. I think I might have laughed at the one who said I lost respect for Josh when he said his favorite talk show was Chelsea lately. And you know what? Until last night, I've never seen this Chelsea Handler chick before. She was on, <laughs> she was on no, she was on Real Time last night. Oh, so okay. all of a sudden, I went, okay, that's who they're talking about. Christ, <laughs> these people keep making jokes about this, and I don't know who the hell this woman is. Well, you should. Apparently, you said she was your favorite talk show host. Yeah, because those comments are so full of truth, Brad. <laughs> yeah, the guy who responded and says they should just call this show Josh lately because you're a blonde, drunken whore. Hey, I am not blonde, you asshole. <laughs> Get your facts straight. I liked. Push I liked. Leak. The, I liked one of the guys who said. Uh, one of the guys who said something about you having a pimply ass. Uh, they've been making those jokes for quite a quite a while now. That that one's not new. Oh, that one's old news. Damn it! I'm way behind. <laughs> yeah, th- that's not new at all. I'm way, I'm way freaking behind. Damn it! <laughs> and we are going to get Brian trolled yet. <laughs> he's we got, will. He's gotten a few. Yeah, I'm not sure how wise it was in retrospect for him to bitch about that on the show. Welcome to the internet. Well, you're still getting trolled more, so. Except now that we've mentioned that, the trolls are going to stop trolling me and trolling Brian just to hurt my feelings. No, no, I'm pretty sure they're probably still going to go after you. <laughs> yeah. All right, e- e- even even I don't believe what I said there, so... Okay. <laughs> e- even I don't. I, I always play stuff by ear, you know. Uh, usually I don't pick until the weekend what movie I'm going to do that particular week. You, you don't have any kind of plans when when you do snuff well, that well, I want to do these or like even I, in October I'm sure it's all going to be for horror movies. I have a list. I I have a list, you know, of stuff that I want to get to, but I don't put them in any particular order. Like I tried doing that very very briefly, very briefly. I tried doing that, and I didn't like it because by the time because like the fourth week would come along, and I would want to do something else, you know. Like, I'd be like, I don't know if I really want to do this movie right now. Like, I wanted to, like, four weeks ago, but now I kind of want to do something else. So, like, so I, I just have, like, a like a random just list of stuff. So, you know, the, the weekend will come along, and I'll look at it and be like, let's see, what do I got here? Like, oh, okay, th- this one right here. I'll, I'll do this one. Sometimes, you know, I just find stuff really randomly, and I bump that up you know um such as such as the movie i'm about to send you when we're done recording naughty network yeah exactly or like when i came across gums you know that that wasn't that wasn't on like any list or anything i just came across uh i was just like oh gums the 70s joss porno spoof all right all right i quickly was like all right i'm gonna do gums so i quickly (laughs) bumped that up like i i i I try not to get too far ahead of myself and picking out what i'm gonna do because it's just it's just fresher to me that way. Fair enough. Where can people find these videos if they so choose? If they so choose, uh, thecinemasnob.com. You can find my stuff, my all my stupid crap, and the shows that I did that don't involve Brad because I'm leeching off his popularity and all. You, you at, gotta stop doing that. I'm not gonna stop doing that. Yeah. At, 
1201beyond.com. <laughs> and you can email me at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And I'm going to continue to leech off Brad's popularity and Brian's too if he's here next week. Brian, <laughs> Brian to be here, Brad, Brian. Night.
your more powerful twin. The one who seems to be everything you thought you could never be. It's now or never to knock him down and sort of be free. You're on a in my mind.